uh, uh, Dottie Minion uh, had uh, uh, just impromptu came up and rattled off an, a, a, great, uh, a great little poem that I said, I need that, I need that. Would you, would you come and help out your poor pastor uh, by way of introducing our theme? She's not so sure about it. She's a little bit nervous about it. She didn't even prepare for it. Just came out of the, the, um, the annals of her mind, and she rattled this off. So, Dottie, would you, I ask you if you consider doing that. Mark, let's make sure we get a microphone for Dottie. And if this is so good, uh, we might just do the benediction right at the end. All right, here, Dottie, can you come up right? Can you come up here? I don't want you to fall. Help her out, Mark. There you go. All right, distracted lives. Go ahead, Dottie. I go to church for inspiration, but much to my consternation. I see a lady with a hat. Another one is getting fat. That deacon's hair is getting thinner. I wonder what I'll have for dinner. I hope my mind's not always this way, for if it is on Judgment Day, I fear that if my mind's the same, I may not hear when they call my name. <laughs> it, now that's not bad, is it? Now next week when, uh, or the following, I mention the title. I'm expecting anyone that I ask that to that you have uh, a poem or something ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'll probably have heart failure if, uh, if that's so. Thank you, Dottie, so much. That, that introduces Distracted Lives. We're going to look uh, in the Dr. Luke's uh, wonderful gospel account this morning. And uh, we're, we're going to uh, wrap up chapter 10. It's a very familiar section of Scripture, uh, Mary and Martha, uh, the account. And uh, I submit to you there's probably much more here, as God's wonderful, inexhaustible Word always is, than what you may have thought about uh, when you hear about the sisters Mary and Martha. Uh, it's, a, it's a powerful uh, message, and uh, hopefully I'll try and do... Uh, the exposition justice, as we merely scratch the tip uh, here and, and, and ponder the, uh, the glacier. Uh, take your Bible, look at Luke chapter 10. Let's uh, read the account, verses 38, just five simple short verses. Now as uh, they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman uh, named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary. Now, you know the Greek word Mary is Miriam. Did you know that? It's uh, Moses' sister, Miriam. That really comes right from the Greek. But in English, we know Miriam is Mary. And so her sister is called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him. And said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful or necessary. And Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Well, truly, today is a day uh, when uh, that people everywhere live lives of distraction. I mean, it, we can certainly say that. I'm constantly saying to some of my children, you're too distracted. You're too distracted. Uh, you can't, you don't have to answer every beep and every whistle and every call and everything 
you'll never get anything done very well. There's so many things that call and vie for our, our, our attention and where we could take our eyes easily off the ball of whatever it is that should be most important at that moment. We live lives filled with distraction. We see it as people attempt to drive their car while texting. Can I say it? With pastoral authority, please do not do that. Don't do that. I see, I see it going on, this, this business, and I see people going through red lights doing this business. You know, I, uh, it makes me very nervous. And once it's done and you say, I'm sorry, you can never uh, undo it. Distractions. I see, we also see it when talking on cell phone. You know, we kid ourselves thinking, well, I could give myself uh, to driving and driving safely. Talk, be very careful about that. I would like to see it all move to a hands, uh, hands-off type thing where um, it, you either have a speaker or something and you hit a button and you can talk while you're driving. But even that you have to be very careful about. Distraction. They're great. These things are great. But they take us off the, uh, the main course easily. Driving a car is uh, playing with a lethal weapon. It is. I've been to more, uh, more funerals than I care to because people were killed in car accidents. And so distraction. We see it with the smartphones interrupting classroom lectures. I don't know how the professors lecture today when the students, and if the, if the class isn't a rip-roaring thriller, and i got news for you, most classes are not. You're not sitting there on the edge of your seat. And so they're like, oh, I'll text so-and-so, and I'll call so-and-so, and I'll do this. What's on the, you, you know, they're downloading the web pages and reading that, <clears throat> and, uh, and so on. Distraction, losing the sense of the lecture and teaching, we see it there. Uh, it, ours is a gadget day. Maybe you say you're a gadget guru, uh, and that's okay in its place. But know what the priority is from moment to moment, what you ought to be giving your full attention to. You know, a lot of times we'll say, well, I'm a multitasker. Um, a, lo a lot of ladies will say that. And I am amazed at all that faith can do. Uh, it's, uh, she can do circles around me and stuff in the home. But I, I have read elsewhere that that's really a misnomer. You end up really not doing anything as well as it should be done. And so I, I, uh, I'm sort of glad at that. I'm sort of do the thing, cross it off the list, and I kind of get momentum. Do you do that? I'm a list guy. There it is. Okay. And I can't go to bed if I got a couple more. I'm going to get them done. You know, right? Do it. Focus. Get it off. That's sort of my makeup in a way. Maybe you're like that. If you're not, then just pray for me. <laughs> There's an even bigger problem than gadget distraction. And it's simply allowing the hurriedness of life. And what a pace. It's a treadmill. The hurriedness of life to keep you from doing the priority. You know, the bane of excellence is the good. You know, we can do a lot of things good or okay, and uh, maybe perhaps through the hurriedness and that comes in the distractions, we don't do the best. It takes time. It takes redo. I know in writing, I'm working on a book in the Psalms, the, the, way, the way you write is what? Rewrite. You rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. You know, you have to focus on it. You just don't sit down and say, here it goes. You think that's how writing goes on? Some students think that at school. Term paper is due. You know, read a few, few books or articles. Okay, I'm going to just sit down and 
I'm not sure what's coming off my hands next. I'm going to forget it. You're in trouble. You've got to write a draft, then another, then you have to redo it. You've got to check your spelling. You lose your mind doing it. Then give yourself time. Distraction will keep you from the excellent. And busyness of schedule can easily crowd out the priority of hearing God's wonderful word. The excuses people make for not going to church are, uh, are sometimes they're, they're real and some people can't go, but sometimes they're just sloppy lives and disordered lives not doing the priority. The, the chief priority in life we saw the other week is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our strength, and our mind. And then to be a neighbor to any and all who... That, uh, that's the great commandment. We saw that with the story of the Good Samaritan. And if we love the Lord with all our heart and soul and we're walking with Him, worshiping Him during the week and then gathering together with God's people to sing and to hear the Word and, and to be served up a meal from the Word of God, to propel us out again to make disciples. That's a priority. Now, what are you doing that's more important than that? There are things that come up, vacations come up, Sometimes we get sick, sometimes we're needed somewhere. These are understandable. But these, this ought to be a mark of maturity and discipline in your life. Doing what you need to do when you need to do it and not being distracted. That means you get to bed early, you get up early, you ask the Lord to prepare your heart. You deal with all of that kind of thing. Did you know then that your service, that even your service for the Lord Jesus, the ministry that God has given to you, uh, because he's given us all gifts, your service for him can even be a distraction to uh, fellowshipping with him. Busyness, busyness, and that's, uh, that's the order of our day. Well, the Lord is in the final months of his life. We saw a few weeks ago, he set his face toward Jerusalem. He's like the great conquering general. He is going to go look right at Mount Calvary, and he's not going to look back. He's not Lot's wife. Don't look back. Remember the cost of a disciple? Don't look back. And he modeled that. He never looked back. Like a middle linebacker going after the red meat of the ball carrier. That was the Lord Jesus. And in the last six months, we see in, in 951, he, he is now going to this final phase of his public ministry to do the Father's will. And now he's in, and we'll notice he's in Bethany, that's just outside Jerusalem. Perhaps in these last months he visited Bethany several times as he was in the area, as then finally he would go and enter into the city on what we call Palm Sunday. Well, in the final months of his life, he's going to address this problem of distracted lives in the home of two sisters. This has a real real sense of reality to it, does it not? It really does. There's a sister tension here that we would go like, yes, I saw that in my life. You know, our sisters are great. Now I have three granddaughters with Sarah, and uh, she, uh, uh, they're, they're wonderful. And here we see some tension in the home, and uh, I saw it growing up even. I had three sisters, four boys, and counting myself, and three sisters, and and this story, I can close my eyes and I can feel the, uh, the reverberation of it. Um, <clears throat> as my mother took it upon herself to not only train the boys, but particularly the girls. They were, they were Dale and I, and the three girls and two boys in the bottom. 
<clears throat> and it was uh, her task to train those girls to be excellent wives and mothers and homekeepers, and, which is proven true, absolutely true. But I can hear some of the discussion going on. Uh, Mom, she's not doing the dishes. I'm doing all the work. You know, I made the beds. Why isn't she vacuuming? You know, this, this, I'm doing more than, you know, I can, I close my eyes and hear that. And my mother uh, would rule over those girls. And I, I'll tell you what, the end result is there are three very happy husbands because there are three women that were raised to know how to do home care, uh, keep a home, raise children, love their husbands, serve the Lord, and those guys are still smiling. And because of my mother, and we were like the uh, yard crew, my father. All right, boys, we're outside now again. <laughs> so quick eat there. Dad, can I have thirds? You know, like forget seconds. That was a, we're outside, you know. So we worked outside, and he took care of that, and they did the household stuff. And so it, has, it really smacks with genuine reality here. You can see it, and some of you are nodding and smiling. And I know that never happened to any of you. Your homes were always like heaven. We just, yes, oh, I'll do the extra, yes. I'll take the trash out. I'll scrape the pots where it was burned on it. Even if it takes an hour, I'll whistle while I work, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, that didn't happen. <laughs> and it didn't happen here. You know, somebody wrote a book based on this and called us, to, and I love the title, maybe you read it, Having a Merry Heart in a Martha World. That's not bad. Having a merry heart in a Martha world. Wow. Well, I believe this account further develops the lawyer's response about wholehearted devotion to the Lord. Remember, what's the great commandment? The Lord said, what does the scripture say? What's the law say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength, and your, and, and your neighbor as you do yourself. He went on to explain what the latter meant there with the Good Samaritan. Be a neighbor to anyone that has a need. But now he's going to explain what it means to love the Lord with all your heart through the example uh, of these two girls and, uh, and so on. Well, there are two sisters in our account who illustrate our need to resist the many distractions of life and focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Focus on him every single day. And like Peter learned so dramatically on the Sea of Galilee, don't take your eyes off Jesus. Don't take your eyes off him in all that you do. When he took his eyes off, he began to go down in the water. Remember that. And so it is for us. And that's the lesson here. Stay focused on Jesus. Daily, we must take time reading his wonderful word in prayer. This is the priority number one of life. We must not fail at this. We must not have ADD. That's not math class. Attention deficit disorder. And I, I know that all of us have been plagued by that from one time or another. Uh, that is spiritual ADD. Attention deficit disorder. Like Dottie's poem, we're looking around. Pastor's preaching, we're looking at the thinning deacon's hair, or her hat, or what's for dinner, or will the bills win again? They will rise again. I don't get distracted with that. 
But, you know, we, each of us, there's a spiritual attention deficit disorder. And we all suffer from it time to time. And so the Lord is going to teach us it. In verses 38 through 40, Martha portrays us as Christians living a distracted life. She's busy doing good things, serving the Lord. Good things. Good things, really. I mean, nothing wrong with what she's doing. It's incredible. Uh, but she wasn't doing that which was best. That was the problem. The setting of this event, as I mentioned, is in the home of Martha. Uh, and it's in Bethany, which is uh, a stone throw from the city of Jerusalem. We know that from John 11.1. John tells us right where her home is located. Jesus is now in the last six months of his life here on earth, and he's moving towards Jerusalem. And Luke is presenting Jesus on the move. He is moving in these final days through Galilee, moving towards Jerusalem. And now he comes to uh, folks to his friend's house, uh, and, and we see that in the text. Martha is an outstanding hostess. She is outstanding. She's the kind of lady you want to oversee a church supper, right? She thinks of all the details. She's the kind that they have all the greater family in for Thanksgiving dinner, and you know it's going to be done right. I mean, everything is going to be to the to the, to the nines, faces, I'm not sure what that means, but to the nines, she means it's done right, I guess, uh, even in detail. That was Martha. She's a great hostess, and it's a gift from the Lord. And she has the privilege of having Jesus going to stay in her home for a meal and rest. What a wonderful thing that is. I mean, we talked a little bit about that before. How about Zacchaeus? We'll look at that him in the future. Zacchaeus, come on down. Remember that? We used to sing that. I'm going to your house today. How about if Jesus would visit your house? I dare say it would be spick and span, right? I mean, you'd be, you'd be, a, you'd be, ladies, somebody'd be a mess if it was sort of impromptu. You know, at McDonald's, you meet them and say, "Hey, I'm going to your house. I'm coming over right now." You go, oh, "The beds aren't made, and the carpets weren't vacuumed in the kitchen. I'm afraid to look." Right? Jesus is going. She's a great hostess. You can see she's got this mental list. You know, there's not, it doesn't say anything about it, but a good hostess, you know, she's working through all these things that have to be done and have to be done right. It was her way of, of showing love and honor and respect for the Lord Jesus, her beloved Lord. There's nothing wrong with that. Those are good things. Jesus never rebukes her for that. She's just showing her love. My, my wife is like that. Faithy is an outstanding hostess. Uh, she, she has a great ability, like some of you, uh, to put any visitors at complete uh, relaxation and to feel welcome. And she'll work days ahead of time if she has that luxury, making her list and, and making sure everything's spotless and, and baking ahead of time and Preparing the menu and buying the food and chopping it up and cooking it. Yeah, she dies when I cook the meat and tell, and then I announce at dinner that I made the meal. <laughs> In consternation, uh, she'll say to me later, you know, that's really not funny when you say that. <laughs> I said, well, I, I did the grilling. <laughs> I really wish you wouldn't say that kind of thing. I said, okay. But she does. She's so good. She's amazing to me. And, and uh, it's, uh, it's so nice. And a lot of time, we don't eat like we used to. And I tell her, 
uh, when the kids come home or we'll have folks in or whatever. <clears throat> I really enjoy that because uh, I eat like I used to eat when the day's gone by and not just, hey, what's left in their salad or something. And I don't mind that. I don't need to eat like I'm a middle linebacker anymore. <laughs> it's half my problem for those first years. And so I like that. But she, I, she is a Martha to the T, and yet she has a, a heart of Mary. And so I see faithy in this. And uh, it's, again, it's a way how she communicates her love for me or for whoever she might have been. It's, it's very tangible, you, you know, and I, I so admire her for that. In fact, I told her when I was dating her, half in jest, her mother was a great, her mother was just like that. Her mother taught her that by example and otherwise. Her mother made this cherry pie. It was unbelievable. Never canned. That's like swearing in her house. Never canned. It's got to be, it's got to be fresh apples of a certain kind. I don't know what there's, there's all kinds. It's got to be fresh peaches. It's got to be blueberries, fresh. Now, I didn't grow up that way. My, my mother, she had seven kids. She, we opened a can and filled the pies. Get them out. We got four of them for dinner, you know. <laughs> but, uh, and I told her that, and she got visibly sick. I mean, that stuff's bad. You're, gonna be, you're not going to live long. You, you know what's in that stuff? I, I don't know. It tastes good, and I ate it with ice cream. Who cares? You know? <laughs> so I told her when I was dating, you probably shouldn't tell her this, but I, I said, if you learn to make that, it was peach. It was peach pie with a crumb top like your mother. I'm going to marry you. Yeah, it's one of those things you just sort of say. And she didn't show any respo response. I don't know what she was thinking. Maybe she thought, I'll never have that guy. I don't know. I, I like to think the best, but I'm afraid to ask what she was thinking. But she did. She, I came down there, and there were some pies. That like, you know, life is tough. But, man, if you go home and have some blueberry pie with vanilla ice cream, I mean, it's a fallen world, but I'm sure we're going to eat this stuff in heaven. Anyway, I got off. <laughs> Faithy is like Martha. Martha, she's a doer. She's showing her love. She's busy serving that way. You get the sense of that. Cooking, cleaning, baking, all that. Serving, cleaning up after. Her mind, and number two, it must have been racing down her mental to-do list. She's got all this to do and then that. And as she was busy in the kitchen... The Lord Jesus was in the living room teaching. She's in the kitchen. Jesus is in the living room. But Jesus is not alone. There are others in there, probably Lazarus. But her sister is not in the kitchen. She's in the living room. And she's kneeling. She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. That's where Mary is. And listening and taking in and learning is our Lord, the master teacher. Nobody ever, nobody ever taught as Jesus did. Oh, I wish we could, we, could, we could pipe into heaven and hear him preach. Wouldn't that be something? Spellbound. I've heard some great preachers in my life. A number of them are in heaven already. And uh, I have benefited from their godliness and their exposition. And it's helped me grow in grace. And I've often remembered a lot of things that they have said. I've forgotten a lot, but I remember a lot. But none of them would ever preach or teach like Jesus. We are simply servants and stewards of, uh, of the teaching that God has given to us. And to, have, to hear Jesus teach, wouldn't that be something? We could have our audio department. Jen, can you call up heaven? We want to hear, uh, we hear uh, 
uh, the Lord uh, teaching even in heaven. And you know he will teach and will be ever learning in heaven. Well, there she is. That's the problem here. A storm, uh, number four, was building in Martha's heart. One of those great buffalo winter storms. It was kicking up uh, all sorts of dust in her heart and so on. As Jesus continued to teach, she became, that is, Martha became increasingly agitated until the storm cloud was going to burst. I mean, there were going to be body parts everywhere and angry words coming out of this godly woman's mouth. There was nothing wrong again, I'll tell you, with what Mary was doing. Her attitude. It was her attitude that was the problem. And that's the thing that often we fail at, right? We can do good things, and we can do them for the wrong reason. We can do good things and fail with our mind wandering down the wrong avenues of thought and completely lose the blessing. We can give to the Lord's work and not give for the right reason and lose all the benefit of it. We can teach a Sunday school class and be very busy in the things of the Lord, do it maybe for the wrong motive, do it uh, in a sense of self-pity. No one else will do it, so I'm doing it, and, and so on. And we fail at that even though God may have gifted us in areas of serving, teaching, administrating, or whatnot, right? And uh, do it for the wrong reasons and lose all the, uh, the benefits at the bema seat of Jesus Christ. So here comes angry words going to come pouring out of her mouth. Well, Martha was guilty of uh, at least three sins. At least three. Let me enumerate. The first one on your sheet, she was distracted. The Lord Jesus is in the other room. He's on his way to death. He's not going to be around that much longer. She's trying to show her love by using her gifts. She's, uh, in the Lord's words here, she was distracted with much serving. Now, that not only happens in a church. Do you know that there are a lot of outstanding um, <clears throat> Christian, let's call them vocational Christian workers that struggle with this. You, you don't know it. Some of you do somewhat. But a mission field can be a, an incredible place where this kind of stuff goes on. Think of what kind of strength and calling it takes for someone to take the gospel into a third culture. It takes a very strong person, a strong will. Wimps do not make it. And raising the funds, and whether it's a, an unmarried man or woman or a couple, uh, and taking the years, and then they're finally there, and they're learning a language. Now they have to work in a team. They're on the compound. And strong personalities, and they're trying to figure out strategy. Well, I think this, and I think that, and, and after all, God brought me here. And I mean, it can be a very difficult... I'm doing more than you are. You're just running the print shop, printing gospel tracts, I'm out handing them out, and plus I'm fixing the Jeep, and, and all that. That stuff goes on. It does. Busy serving, but not doing the priority. It happens in a church. It happens in a home. It happens. It does. Mary's distracted, sin number one. Her work, catch this now, for Jesus was dragging her away from him. That's a funny thought. I'm serving the Lord. I'm showing my love. And it's dragging her away from fellowship and worship and hearing his word. 
happens. Truth be told, there are some, some pastors that um, are so busy with the ministry and life and, and, and now they're going to preach and now they come rushing into the pulpit Sunday morning, into the pulpit, <gasps> I forgot to pray. Oh my word. You, do you think that not, doesn't happen? It, it happens. should never happen. It ought to be bathed in prayer. It ought to have the fragrance of Jesus' presence all over it. It happens. Martha, that was her issue right here, with much serving. Yeah. She was guilty of being inattentive to the Word of Christ. She got so caught up in serving Jesus that she lost sight of Jesus himself. She lost him in her busyness for him. There's a thought. Wow. Wow. Well, distracted. And distraction can quickly, like it did here, leads to self-pity. Distraction soon gives way to this. She's now overwhelmed. She's sulking. She's sulking. She's focusing on self now. Distracted, not spending time with you. Now it's self. It's a pity party. I'm doing all the work. Oh, you can see it. She's overwhelmed in this sister tension. And now she risks running over people with her poor attitude because distraction leads often to self-pity, which leads quickly to resentment, her third sin. And she might say, if only lazy Mary, can you hear her saying it? I can. If only lazy Mary would help her by getting into the kitchen, guess what? Where she belongs anyway. <laughs> that we could get this meal done and, uh, and, and we could uh, work together and, uh, and, may, and, and who knows what she thought. Lazy Mary, that's her attitude. Well, in fact, she, she even, and did you catch it in our text, in verse 40, uh, she even is miffed by Jesus. Now there's something. She's miffed by him. Uh, let's read, read verse 40 again here. Uh, here's Mary speaking. But Mary was distracted with much serving. She went up to him. That's Jesus. Can you see her? Maybe she was banging the pans in the kitchen trying to get Mary's attention. I've seen that. I've seen him thrown around. I've, I've talking under her breath. Can you hear that? I can hear it. I can hear her speaking. And now she just, it's a, it's a, it's a cloudburst. She couldn't take it anymore so she leaves the kitchen, goes into the living room, and she now says to Jesus, she said, Lord, do you... Now wait, let me stop. She interrupts the Lord teaching. Now that's something. Right? You have to admit. I, I've, I've heard great men in, in my studies lecture where uh, you could hear a pin drop. Yeah, I mean, you want to hear every single word. And if you, perchance, came in late, you, like, maybe didn't even go in, or you crept in as silently as possible in respect for the guest speaker or the honorable professor, right? You don't go up to his lectern, and, and, and one of these things right in the middle, that's, that's Martha at this point. Can you see her? Unbelievable. 
Lord, don't you care that my sister's left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Now notice that. Don't miss it. Now she's ordering Jesus. She's telling Jesus what to say and do. Well, she's far afield now. Distraction, if not cut short and brought back to focus on Jesus, leads to self-pity. Oh, woe is me. And then leads to resentment. Lord, tell her. You ever tell God something? You know, I, th- I think good prayer life, we wrestle with God. Someone's sick and maybe near death or some circumstance in business, and we, we truly wrestle with God. God says, come, tell, you know, the desire of your heart, lay it at my feet. The Lord did that, did he not, at Gethsemane? He said to the Father, Lord, take this cup from me, if it be thy will. Nevertheless, your will be done. That's wrestling with God. It's one thing to do that with a spirit of humble submission. It's another thing to come in and go like this to God. Tell my sister! You know, like, okay. No, the Lord doesn't do that, does he? No. Wow, that's a little bit of what's going on here. She interrupts his teaching. She tells Jesus what he should do. Tell her. Wow. Well, Martha portrays us as Christians living the distracted life. She really does. But this, no, notice number two the, 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 of the two sisters who illustrate our need to resist the many distractions and focus on Jesus. And that's number two. Jesus responds to Martha by calling us, by way of application, to do the priority of life. Verses 41 42. You, you see, there's something much more important than being busy for Jesus. Now, I wish some people would get off the bench and do something. There are far too many people sitting on the bench, afraid of people, don't bear witness for Christ, don't let the light of the gospel shine through, need to get busy serving the Lord, using the gifts that God has given you. But go to the other side, someone who's very busy, busy, and don't we love busyness as Americans? How are you doing? Busy. Great. And we bring that right into the church. And listen, let me get ahead of myself. Jesus is not asking one more thing for us to put on our to-do list. You know what? He's asking us to do less of this busyness stuff so that we can enjoy Him and focus on Him. So it's not like, okay, oh, pastor, I got it. I'll add it to my list. Spend time with Jesus. No. Go through there. Cut out some of the things. You can't do everything. Spend time with Him. He's asking us to do less. Now, some of you couldn't do any less. We need to do more, but there's a balance there. And you pray, and the Lord will show you. Here's here's this message. Jesus prizes our friendship and our fellowship more than he prizes our service. You, you, You see this coming right off the text here. He prizes our friendship. Now, there's a thought. And uh, our fellowship. As we read the Word, as we hear His Word, as we enjoy His presence, as we fellowship with Him in prayer. He enjoys that more than our busyness. Jesus, A, loves Martha, and it's indicated by calling her name twice. Martha, Martha. Now, when my parents yelled out the door my name twice, 
I knew as I heard it going through the trees and I was down half the block, I was probably in deep trouble, you know. Or if they said my full name, I was cooked. <laughs> you know, like you don't need introductions to your parents. Why are they using my full name, even middle, no middle and issue, full name, I'm in trouble. But in the, in the Hebrew word, world, when the, the speaker uses the name and repeats it, it was a sign of sweet intimacy, and it was a sign of affection. Martha, Martha. Mar Jesus loved Martha. He loved Mary, and he loved them equally. And we see that in the Old Testament. We see that several times in the text. Uh, there at uh, Mount Moriah, uh, Abraham's going to offer Isaac. And what, is, what does the Lord say? Abraham, Abraham. He's not stuttering. He knew Abraham. He, uh, the friendship and the fellowship and the intimacy and the affection he had for him. We see it with, again, in, in Exodus 3 at the burning bush. Moshi, Moshi. Moses, Moses. The Lord knew. That's the angel. The Lord knew Moses, knew him intimately, loved him so. Uh, we, see it, uh, we see it in other places. Saul, Saul in the New Testament, Acts 9. Saul, Saul, why do you kick against the pricks? On the road to Damascus, the day that the Apostle Paul was saved. Affection, intimacy, acquaintedness, familiarity. We also see it in the Sermon on the Mount where the Lord in those, that terrible section there in, 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 in Matthew 7, 21, 22, 23, where Jesus is talking about the judgment. And he said in that day, he says, not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, curio, curio, uh, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, it's, uh, uh, what's he saying here? He's, and he goes on to say, I never knew you, never depart into everlasting damnation. So the Lord is saying, Lord Jesus is saying there in that Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 and 22, there will be people that are busy in churches and busy with ministry thinking they are saved when they're not saved, and at the judgment, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, and from their perspective, they're saying in that culture, I know you, I know everything about you, uh, uh, you're acquainted with me, I love you, and the Lord will give the final pronouncement in this judgment. Not so. You claim to know me, but you never knew me. And so the Lord is showing his love for Martha by saying, Martha, Martha. And I have already expressed intimacy and affection. He tells her that she was anxious about many things, and don't we usually get that way? Good things for sure, but not the best. The bane of excellence is the good. We fill our life up with the good, not the excellent, then, then we miss the mark through distraction. Notice what Jesus did not tell, uh, uh, did not say uh, should be done at this point when Martha confronts him and stops his teaching. He did not take sides. Do you notice that? You know who was on the Lord's side? He didn't say, I'm on Mary's side, I'm on Martha. He didn't take sides. Second, he didn't send Mary back to the kitchen. Hey, you, hit the kitchen. You know, it's hit the locker room. Yeah, I had that in sports. Hey, Zabolski, hit the... No, hit the kid. No, he didn't do that either, did he? Nor did he tell Martha to be more like her sister. Oh, I wish you'd be more like your sister. 
Parents sometimes do that, don't they? Why can't you be like your brother? Oh, boy, don't ever do that. Don't compare it like that. Okay, he didn't say that. Nor did he, Jesus tell her to stop doing what she was doing. The Lord didn't even tell Martha, stop, stop cooking the meal. He didn't say that. This is because Jesus did not disapprove of Martha's activities, or she did them because she loved Jesus and served him. It was her attitude that had to be set right and rebuked by Jesus, and that's what Jesus does. And he does so and be by saying, listen, uh, uh, one thing is necessary or needful. One thing. One thing. Now, the problem here is he doesn't, you'd like him to tell us in one brief statement what that one thing is. Oh, Lord, answer that question. It's an, it's an uh, essay exam question. One thing is needful. Great. Okay, Lord, what is it? It, it doesn't answer it, and so it's left open. But I think it's reasonable here. What, what's going on here is, the, is that the Lord answers it with a word picture. You see, Mary yearned to sit at his feet and to learn. And sitting implies in that day attentiveness in submission, sitting at the feet of Jesus. So it's a word picture. One thing is needful. And we don't see it, but it's like maybe pointed at Mary as she was sitting at his feet, learning the word. Oh, and incidentally, theology is not just for men. You notice that? The rabbis thought that. It's just the men, uh, not for the ladies. That's not true. Do you know in a lot of my schooling in college, the, the girls had to take, uh, uh, in, in my college program, all, there was a double major and uh, everyone was a theology major, a Bible the theology major, the guys and the girls. And do you know that perennially the girls scored better in theology than the guys did? Yeah. I used to hear a professor really get upset about that. Wondered where the guys were, most of them. Theology is, and the Lord honored that. And she was there to learn. And what a beautiful picture of a woman studying the Word, hearing the Word of Christ, and that's Mary. She's doing this good portion. Let's read the last verse again, verse 40, 42. But one thing is necessary or needful, and Mary has chosen the good portion. Circle the word portion. If you have an ESV, I'll tell you about that in a moment, which will not be taken away from her. You see, Mary yearned to sit at his feet and learn. I already said that. And see, doing this is the good portion. And portion here means it's the word for meal. You see, Mary, uh, while, while Martha was in the kitchen getting the meal ready, in the word here, and it's the exact word in the Greek for meal, Mary is in the living room feasting at a sumptuous banquet of the Word of God. And it would never be taken away with her. It wasn't physical food. It was spiritual food. It's going to nurture her and grow her in ways physical food, as good as it may taste, will never do, could never accomplish. Mary was feasting on God's Word. And this should be one of our highest pleasures in life. Have you come to that point where you hate to see your 
quiet time in the morning if that's when you have it end because you've got to get on doing other things. That, oh, just one more chapter, one more verse. or You just love feeding on the Word of God. Jesus said man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Uh, the feasting upon the Scriptures, the sitting at His feet and hearing, that's the excellent. That's the one thing necessary or needful. And that's what Jesus meant when he said that. Well, in his closing days, it would be far better to hear his every word, every word, than to occupy oneself with serving. Wow. For Jesus, you see, would not be that much longer with them as he made his way steadfastly to Jerusalem to die as the only sin offering that God ever gave for you and for me. You see, supper could wait. You ever have that at home? We're going to wait on supper, boys. Uh, it's a little bit delayed, you know, and for growing boys, that's a difficult, those are hard words, amen? Amen. But mom, I was, I was ready to eat starving, starving. And my mother would say more than once, as her boys would clean the refrigerator. Slow down, boys. There's more where that came from. What do you mean? It's delayed an hour. Yeah, your father's an hour late. Oh, we're going to die. Jesus is saying here, supper can wait. There's something more important. A time is short, for soon he would no longer be with them. You see, the one thing that was be needful is for them to hear what Jesus had to say about the way of salvation. And the key image here that we all need to walk away from here is the image of seeing the disciple of Jesus sitting, feasting at the feet of Jesus, hearing the Word of God. That mental image, if it is true that a picture is worth a thousand words, is more powerful than a simple succinct statement of what is the one thing that is needful. Well, lessons for our life will be done. Number one, we must daily develop the discipline, it should be discipline, of sitting at the feet of Jesus. It's a discipline. I'm sorry to tell you that. In a, in a country that's pretty much undisciplined, uh, you better ask the Lord to develop discipline in your life or you're not going to amount to much beyond a blob of jellyfish. you got to have discipline. You know, personal grooming habits. You know, as a boy, I wasn't quite sure why we had to take a bath once a week on Saturday. you got to learn discipline. Discipline. you got to brush your teeth. You know, more than just before the dentist appointment, yes, every day. You've got grooming habits. Hang up your clothes. Keep your room clean. Yet you study. When you come home, you do your homework. Then when you go out for sports, you do what the coach says and give it 110% discipline. Well, the same thing is true in the Christian life. I love Ken Hughes' book, Disciplines of a Godly Man. It requires discipline. And I can't tell you when that time should be daily, but I know if you are not carving time out to meet with the Lord, open His Word, study it, memorize it, and to come before him on your knees. You know, we need that on your knees. 
We, we pray standing a lot, but we need those times on our knees because it humbles us. And last time I checked, we all need that, don't we? It's a posture that demonstrates humility, and I need every bit of that I can possibly get. So Jesus said, go into your room, shut the door, okay, and then get down on your knees and pray. It takes discipline. Now, you can do it. And some of you do have done it, and you love it, and it's the best part of your day, uh, and, and so on. I, I, I love talking to Greg's, my son-in-law's father. He's a surgeon, general surgeon. for He's nearing retirement, and he told me about six months ago that now at this point in his life, he's more convinced than ever. He really wants to be used by the Lord. And realize it's going to take more time with the Lord. And though he's in the OR very early in the morning, his resolve, and he asked me to hold him accountable as he gets up at 4.30 and spends over an hour in prayer, mostly in prayer, and then in his Bible reading before he gets dressed to go to the hospital. Now there's a man that has come to understand in a very powerful, dramatic way the importance of the priority. I'm not saying, I'm not saying every one of you should get up at 4.30. I'm not saying that. Don't miss that. But I plead with you, open the book, study it, and your life will be forever changed. I know. It's what the Spirit of God changed me in my life. It is. It's through the Word of God. Discipline, sitting at the feet of Jesus. Number two, sit at his feet and devour his teaching. Devour. His teaching, since there's no more important meal. We, we all love uh, Philadelphia cheesesteaks, don't we? Turkey dinner with all the trimmings. I get ready for that for a couple weeks, you know. <laughs> and some of the, but there's no greater meal, greater than any and all of those kind of meals, than devouring the Word of God. I mean, after all, as life begins to grow um, weaker and we become more frail if the Lord doesn't come back is going to be the Word of God that you've hidden in your heart. Yeah, that's the thing that will carry you through. I've had several surgeries and before they give me the gas, the anesthesiologist is going through, I guess legally I had to read a bunch of stuff. You may not come through this, this and that, giving all this stuff. It almost scares you to death. I just cut them off. I said, ah, Doc, I don't need to hear that. Yeah, I trust the Lord. You know, he says, uh, okay, you got to sign here. So I signed. Todd, I don't know if you do that. But uh, I, he said, okay, you look, you look okay. I said, I'll just sign the thing. If I go home, that's better yet than if I get a titanium hip again. <laughs> you know, right. So, but what I do when I'm laying there before they give you the shot where you're like, I don't care about anything anymore, you know, that's good stuff too. That is really, that's off the record. But I mean, what I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm going through Bible verse after Bible verse after, and it just fills my heart with joy. You know, I wasn't reading the Wall Street Journal. I wasn't reading Sports Illustrated. Then. I wasn't thinking about my dear family, thinking about my church family, but I was meditating about my Savior and His wonderful Word. Now, if, if there, I went to the bank and there's nothing there, I'm in trouble. Some of you would be in trouble. I'd start now on that. All right, number, number three. Don't, don't allow your service and busyness for Jesus to cause you to neglect him. Don't lose him in your busyness. We're all guilty of it. Let's admit that. I'm guilty of that. But let's, let's be more determined than ever to have a merry 
part in a Martha's world and not lose him in the midst of all that. Number four, we do not have enough time to do everything. Have you come to the realization you don't have enough time to do everything? There are a lot of good things you could do and give yourself to. So could I. I could be busy 28 hours of the day, and so could you. Have you realized that? So choose wisely. So what do we do with that? Throw up our hands, jump off the bridge. What do we do? No, choose wisely. Like that Indiana Jones. Remember that? What was that? The word, the cup, choose wisely. Which is the carpenter's cup? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, oh yeah, I thought somebody did, yeah. And uh, <laughs> choose wisely. And we need to do that properly. Lord, help me to order this. I feel like I'm, I'm going a thousand directions. That's wrong. I'm distracted. I'm soon going to be filled with self-pity. And then I know I'm going to have resentment. Lord, forgive me for that. And, and that's maybe where you are. And you need to say, Lord, clean out the garbage in my heart so that I love only you. Number five and last, Perhaps life's many distractions have kept you from coming to Jesus. Maybe you're here and you're just filled up with activity. No room for Jesus at all. You need to realize that there's only one name given. That's the Lord Jesus. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's only a heaven. There's only a hell. Wide and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are on that path. The wrath of God will be poured out. You must be in Christ. You must receive him as your Lord and as your Savior. He is more than beautiful. He is altogether beautiful, altogether lovely in a, in a manly, godly way. He is the Savior. He is the Shepherd. He is the Lord of the church. Come to him and be saved today. You need to say, Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner, a sinner. Well, distraction. So what do you get today? Well, pastor said, I can't text while I'm driving. If that's all you got, I better quit now, right? Don't live a distracted life. This, this is the point of Mary and Martha. May we determine, Lord, help me to live a merry life in this Martha world. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, thank